Hello, this is your host, Eric Fleming. Before I get to the episode, I want to follow up on my Roe Repeal Observation podcast and further address the June 24, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. That's podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds, including the ones I mentioned in the Roe Repeal Observation Podcast. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Thank you. Hello. Welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. And today uh, we have a special guest coming in who has been a a fighter in the courtroom for democracy and, and individual freedom. And it's an honor for her to be on my show uh, well, it's an honor for me, I should say, for her to be on my show. Um, I hope that she feels it's an honor for her to be on. Um, but um, I'm going to get to her in a second, but I just want to kind of tease a little bit about the second half of the show because I, I haven't really had a chance to talk about a lot of stuff because of the number of great guests that we've had. Um, But um, I do want to talk about where we are as far as the respective political parties. And I did a show a little while back called The Return of Good Feelings, which talked about a historical period. Um dealing with the relevance of one political party and the irrelevance of another. And so I guess the second half of the show is kind of a follow-up to that um, to justify why I feel the way I feel based on recent events and conversations I've heard. But again, I'll get into that in the second half. Right now, I'm going to introduce my guest. Her name is Sky Perryman. Sky Perryman is a lawyer, advocate, and leader with a track record of taking on and winning critical fights that advance democratic values, stop abuses of power, and improve the well-being of people and communities. She was named president and CEO of Democracy Forward Foundation in June 2021. 
returning to the organization where she was on the founding litigation team. She most recently served as the chief legal officer and general counsel of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, where she oversaw its broad portfolio of legal policy and public affairs work and led a number of groundbreaking initiatives to enhance access and equity in healthcare. Prior to ACOG, Sky was a senior counsel at Democracy Forward Foundation, where as one of the organization's founding litigators, she developed and filed some of the first cases challenging unprecedented and unlawful executive action in the post-2016 era. Sky began her legal career at Covington and Burling LLP and later practiced at Wilmer Cutler, Pickering, Hale, and Door, most commonly known as Wilmer Hale. In private practice, she handled complex and high-stake matters at the intersection of law and policy for clients across industries while maintaining a robust pro bono practice dedicated to vindicating the civil and constitutional rights of people. Earlier in her career, Sky coordinated programs for underserved youth in Central Texas public schools. She was also part of early efforts to build coalitions between labor and environmental stakeholders, supporting investment in renewable energy infrastructure and good jobs. Sky volunteers her time as a mentor and serves on the boards of several organizations, including the First Shift Justice Project, the Atlas Performing Arts Center, and the Interfaith Alliance. She teaches courses at American University and is an active alumna of Baylor University, where she helped initiate a thousand strong alumni movement, calling on the university to change its restrictive policies regarding LGBTQ plus student organizations. She grew up in Texas and is a proud product of its public schools. She holds a Juris Doctor with honors from the Georgetown University Law Center and a Bachelor of Arts Magna Cum Laude from Baylor University, where she is a member of the Board of Advocates for the college's College of Arts and Sciences. She, was, she has received numerous accolades, including being named four-time Washington Rising Star by Super Lawyers, a top 40 under 40 trailblazer by the Leadership Center for Excellence, the Baylor Lyon Foundation's Outstanding Young Alumna, a Harry S. Truman Scholar, and a Chuck F. C. Ruff Pro Bono Lawyer of the Year. Her work has been covered in outlets such as the New York Times, National Public Radio, NBC News, Washington Post, the Houston Chronicle, and Teen Vogue. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and distinct pleasure to bring to you Sky Perryman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have Madam President here, Ms. Sky Perryman. Sky, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing okay, all things considered. Good to be with you today. All right, it's it's good. It's an honor to have you on. Now, I usually try to find a quote or either attribute it to the guest, or if they're pushing a you know from a book that they've written or whatever. But I got I found a quote from Aristotle. So I want, okay. I want to see how you respond to this. If liberty and equality, as is thought by some, are chiefly to be found in democracy, there will be, they will be best attained when all persons alike share in government 
to the utmost. What 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 does that quote mean to you and the work that you're doing? Oh, that's a that's a great quote that you found. I mean, look, what democracy in democracy forward, we believe that um, democracy depends on a government that works for all people, and that means that there's representation, and that means that everyone has an opportunity in the country to achieve their dreams, to um, build their lives and to be able to build um, for the future. And so I think that that quote just hits it right on the head. Um, equality and liberty are incredibly important, but we know that they are not just something that fall out of the sky and come to a society. They are things that have to be kept and maintained and worked and fought for. And I think that that's what we're you know, seeing in the country now is uh, that democracy um, you know, is hard fought and requires um, people's effort in maintaining it and um, maintaining these values that, that all of us hold dear. So what is democracy forward? What, what exactly, it's a, I understand it's a, a foundation. What exactly is the organization's purpose and focus? Yep, so we are a legal organization. We're a nonprofit, which is why our, we have two, we have a 501c3 that's a, Democracy Forward Foundation, and then we have another Democracy Forward to 501c4. We usually just say Democracy Forward for short. Um, and um, we're a legal organization that is dedicated to the advancement of democracy. Um, and right now that means to the protection of democracy and also building for the future. When we first started, our focus was on um, bringing cases against the Trump administration. Uh, that administration presented unique threats to democracy and to people and to social progress. And they were so unique that there was a need for another organization, uh, which was us, we were founded in the wake of the 2016 election, to be able to help existing advocates that are doing great work every day, challenging bad behavior, um, that there was just need for additional bandwidth and strategy and creativity. And so that is how we were founded. And for the first four years of our existence, um, we really focused on a range of issues, anything affecting people and communities between, from healthcare to the environment, to civil rights, to, um, to uh, civil liberties, to government transparency, I mean, you name it, um, where there was unlawful activity by the Trump administration, and there was a lot of that, and where there wasn't um, existing efforts to challenge that activity, we were there. And we took the Trump administration to court over 100 times, and we won um, many victories, uh, reversed over uh, 30, between 30 and 40 Trump era policies, and we have more that are still pending um, that are set to be reversed. So that was our first four years. And then what we learned in doing that, and what we saw on January 6th, is that the threats to democracy and progress, they didn't start with the Trump administration and they weren't unfortunately going to end with that administration leaving office. That, that we see this rising tide of extreme policies throughout the country that really present threats to people and communities. And so over the past year, um, we have expanded the reach of our work. Um, we are bringing cases in state and local communities with local partners and others where there are bad, there's bad governmental activity that needs to be stopped that presents threats to democracy. We also do a lot of work empowering people and communities to use their voice in the federal regulatory process and in the court process. And so we're now working across a range of issues, but also in a range of places uh, to meet this moment, which is a really critical moment for the future of our country. So one of those places in particular 
has a special meaning for me. Uh, and I noticed one of your um, partners in the litigation is the ACLU of Mississippi. I, I don't know if you did any background on me, but I used to be the policy director there. Uh, and I used to be a member of the state legislature there. So this particular lawsuit has some interest uh, for me, and I, I want you to kind of explain what's going on with that. Yeah, no, I did, and I, I thought you might be interested in that. <laughs> so in Mississippi, um, and let me just say, part of our work over the past year has been to expand our team, and we've got folks that, um, we've got a lot of folks in Washington, but we've got folks throughout the country, including in Mississippi. And one of our strategies is to always work with local partners like the ACLU of Mississippi or in other states, there's other organizations as well, and really make sure that if there are things that groups can't do alone because there's a limited number of resources, that we're there to help provide bandwidth and strategy. So in um, the, this case, uh, the state of Mississippi received funds from the American Rescue Plan Act as part of the pandemic. These are taxpayer dollars, right? These are funds that come into the state. And the legislature, uh, which you know well, you know better than I do, but the legislature in Mississippi um, decided to use those funds for private schools instead of for schools that can benefit um, all people in Mississippi. And so we're challenging that uh, along with the ACLU of Mississippi and other partners. And we're doing it on behalf of Parents for Public Schools, which is really important to me it, the, what, what that means, just to put it in perspective, is that there are parents who have a lot to do in their lives and they're trying to raise their kids and go to work and make ends meet. And they are spending their time uh, getting engaged with the lawsuit to challenge this because um, they have a stake in our democracy and this is really harmful to um, folks in Mississippi. And you know uh, better than I do a lot of the inequities that we see in Mississippi around public education. So um, that case depends on a provision in the Mississippi constitution um, is, is how we are challenging that case, challenging what the legislature has done. And I bring that up because, you know, the recent Supreme Court, uh, lots of folks are very worried about uh, the future of public education and, um, uh, and, and a variety of other issues after this most recent U.S. Supreme Court term. And the case in Mississippi is really based on the Mississippi state constitution. And so we just filed um, there and we can keep you updated. I can come back and report on it as it moves through. Um, and you can talk to all the folks you know in Mississippi who are involved in the case. But, um, but this is an example of the type of work that we're doing um, right now at this inflection point where there are so many threats to people and communities and democracy, and um, they need to be challenged. Um, and so we're in Mississippi challenging uh, the legislature's actions there. And, and Will Bardwell, he's kind of the point person down there? Well, Will is uh, the lead lawyer on that case. Okay. And, uh, um, and um, uh, you know, was for many years at the um, Southern Poverty Law Center and is now here. And we're um, really excited about the energy that he's brought here. But we also have other lawyers that we, we cross-staff our, cross our team. So we've got others engaged in the case as well. And I know as the case progresses, I'm sure Will would love to come and talk to you about that as well as some other things that we have going on in Mississippi. Yeah, it's, it's a good coalition of people. I, I, I have a, like I said, a special affinity having working with all of them. So I hope that you're successful in that. The ironic thing about Section 208 of the Constitution is that when they created the new Constitution in 1894, that was one of the provisions that they did not change. And that provision was created by the legislature when it was majority Black about public schools. And so 
that's why it's 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 very very important that in Mississippi, but also nationally, people pay attention to that because in in the in the case before in in Brown, the and in cases leading up to that, they highlighted the distinction between the white schools and the black schools. And if you do the same thing when you take pictures of Jackson Academy and Jackson Prep compared to Murrah High School and Provine in Jackson. Just those four schools alone would show that Jackson Prep and, and Jackson Academy don't need that kind of money. But that's that's going local. Oh, I, <laughs> but I will say this about the, this issue, Mississippi, because we've seen this in other states, too. And it's, it's, I think, an important piece in addition to the history that you're raising, which is, I think, so important for people to realize and to understand that all of these attacks on public education date back to um, uh, to attacks on racial equity and attacks on uh, the well-being of people generally, and they're all so intersected. And of course, we've seen how they intersect with healthcare too, coming out of Mississippi recently. But one of the things that Democracy Forward has done is there are states like Mississippi and there are states like Texas, where unfortunately the branches of government in those states, I'm from Texas, the, the branches of government in those states have become increasingly controlled by a movement that does not respect the rights of people that, you know, may say the word democracy or fly a flag on the 4th of July, but they don't really stand up for the principles that we know that Aristotle quote, but the principles that we all um, and that our country stands for and tries to achieve over time. And what we've seen is that sometimes in those jurisdictions, it's hard for folks to want to bring cases or for folks to want to stand up because it's, it's such the the odds are just so hard in many of those um, areas. Last year we sued um, in Texas, Greg Abbott, the governor, decided to eliminate the Texas legislature to veto it based on the fact that they didn't pass the voter suppression bill he wanted. And we, you know, we had to file that in the Texas Supreme Court, um, which is also controlled by the same forces that control the governor's mansion. But it was really important to do because, first of all, we believe we were right on the law. What he did was unconstitutional if you believe in three branches of government. But separately, it was really important because there were many people, 2,000 state workers and others that were hurt as a result of what was happening and not challenging these things allows these abuses of power to go in some cases unnoticed. And um, we believe that the law can help force accountability. So that's another trend that we see throughout the country in some of these states, Mississippi being one of them. And it's why we think it's really important to be there and to work with local advocates and, um, and see if we can make some change. So I was asked to ask you this question. Oh. Um, how do you stay positive and hopeful when there are so many people working to defeat our democracy? Now, before you answer that, I want you to think about that because <clears throat> you're doing a lot of things. Um, you're involved with a lot of cases. Kind of go over, well, kind of go over some of the, the, the work that you've done, some cases that you are currently working on and that you cases that you're kind of proud that you've you've accomplished in your short time and then answer the question how do you stay hopeful <laughs> okay i'll do that but i want i want to hear how you stay hopeful too because you're an inspiration to so many folks too well i mean look um 
we're democracy forward. Um, we were founded, as I said, out of this notion that the American society was really entering a new era. That there have always been threats to democracy. There are, you know, there are always people that don't believe that everybody should be able to achieve and to live their lives and equitable and, and you know, and equal opportunity. There's always those that push back. But that we were really entering a new era where that that movement, that anti-democracy movement, gained outsized political power with the election of President Trump and with what we see in state legislatures and in local communities as a result of voter suppression and gerrymandering and all sorts of other things. And so we knew when we started that the odds were long, that it's hard when you have a movement that is so intent on obtaining power and abusing their power. Um, and so I'm very proud of the early cases that Democracy Forward brought in the Trump era, and I'll talk about some now. We sued um, uh, in the early days of the Trump administration, people forget this, um, there were already folks that wanted to undermine the integrity of elections. President Trump was actually quite upset that he did not win the popular vote. And so he sought to um, undermine uh, the vote count because he wanted to be able to say that uh, Secretary Clinton didn't win the popular vote. So he set up a commission called the Pence Kobach Commission that went around and was going to collect private information on individual voters. I was a lawyer at Democracy Forward at the time and working with others of our colleagues. We challenged that voter commission in court. Some other organizations did too, based on different theories. And as a result of the pressure that was put on the administration as a result of those legal challenges, they had to disband that commission. And I thought about that a lot when we think about something like January 6th and what that day would have looked like had the White House been storing private information about individual voters on its server, which is what they were seeking to do um, in the case that we challenged. And um, we challenged all kinds of things that were unlawful, but that folks thought were really hard. And one, um, the administration stopped uh, collecting wage data. They didn't want to collect wage data uh, because I guess they didn't <laughs> want there to be facts out there about inequities in wage data. And our um, colleagues here at Democracy Forward sued along with the National Women's Law Center and forced um, the federal government to do what it's supposed to do and to collect that data. We um, there were multiple uh, policies that were seeking to gut the Affordable Care Act. Um, and we sued and blocked those policies on behalf of cities like Columbus, Ohio, and Cincinnati, and, and Baltimore, and others. So across a range of issues in that era. Now, what I'm really proud about is, um, is the work we're doing in the states against long odds. So for instance, um, about a few weeks after the um, opinion was leaked, the Dobbs opinion, which you're familiar with, especially given um, Mississippi, but after that opinion was leaked, and it did appear, and of course now we know, that the majority of the Supreme Court was going to roll back constitutional rights for millions of people in the country, we filed a case in Lebanon, Ohio, challenging an abortion ban on behalf of social workers and community volunteers that wanted to challenge that ban, but we didn't use arguments that depended on Roe versus Wade. We used other arguments. Um, because often these draconian laws have a lot of problems, not just one. And so that case, the city has agreed not to enforce its ban right now as to our um, clients, which is really good. Um, and we will um, continue to see how that case progresses. I'm proud of what we did in Texas against Greg Abbott. I'm very excited about this Mississippi case um, and so many others where uh, you may think something's really challenging and the odds are long, but if you don't get in there and try and um, amplify the voices and the perspectives of the communities that are affected, um, 
you know, you don't know. And oftentimes we found that you can win even when you think, um, even when you know that there are long odds, when you're right on the law and you're right about democracy and we have, you know, the American people um, who we represent sort of um, uh, a part of those things. So that's, that, those are some things I'm proud of. In terms of how you stay hopeful, it's pretty hard. I wanna hear, I wanna hear what you do. But I will tell you one thing that has given me just such hope is that we know, and we see this every day in our work, I'm sure you see it in yours, but we see every day, the vast majority of people in this country, they do believe in democracy. Um, they believe in basic fairness. And what we have right now is a movement that has gained outsized amount of power that's abusing their power and seeking to undermine people. And I get great hope when people like the social workers stand up and go to court with us, or when folks like parents in Mississippi are willing to stand up against something that is blatantly unconstitutional against the state um, constitution. So I get great hope in watching how communities of people are becoming activated and vocal and taking action in order to fight at this moment for our democracy, which we know we need because we are at a really dangerous inflection point. Uh, but um, watching how people are rising to the occasion and being in a position where we can help amplify that um, is really um, gives me some hope. But I, I would love to hear for you. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, it's like this podcast was inspired by Donald Trump. It was because of what he was doing. I just felt like I needed this. Somebody that had been in the process, I had needed to kind of vent. And so this this podcast is basically the same as your organization. It was inspired by the injustices we were seeing. And so um, this is more therapy than hope, I guess, uh, to be able to talk to people that are doing the work um, and, 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 and highlighting them and and trying to be a voice in, in especially in the African American community, to to let people know that things can happen and things are happening, right? And so, um, you know, I'm I'm encouraged by uh, people fighting, and like you, I believe the majority of Americans want to be in a in a free democratic society. They don't want to be under authoritarian rule, and so um, whatever we can highlight people that are doing the work. That's, that's what I try to do with this show and in other venues that I might be in. So having said all that, um, what do you think about this unique time? We, we've kind of touched on a little bit about what kind of led into it. Uh, but now that this is actually officially the post row era, um, and it's more than just women's reproductive rights that's on the line. Um, what what do you what do you think about this moment, and and what can we as citizens do to um, to deal with it or to challenge it? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, you know, and I've used this term. Whether you know, some people say crisis, some people say you know, dangerous moment. I mean, I like the word inflection point because what that means, what this time is, is an inflection point is a time where there is a change in direction. And what we don't know is, are, is the change in direction going to be toward a more vibrant and bold democracy, which is what it should be and what we all believe it should be, or whether it's going to go to an even darker place than where we are now. And we are at that point. And so I think this moment 
how I, what I'm making of it is um, what happens next depends on all of us in real and real ways in personal ways, people are going to have to get comfortable engaging. But I will say this, and people ask me this about the court, the you know, Supreme Court term or whatever. Our country has been in these moments. I mean, you just referenced <laughs> the history of the state of Mississippi. Um, you know, our country has been in these moments. This is not a country that has always had democratic institutions that served all people. And in fact, we've seen our courts and our legislatures and our executive branch, we've seen them do um, dehumanizing, violent things. Um, to people, and we've seen them be forces of good. And, um, and so, you know, we have been in moments that are as challenging. Um, that doesn't mean that this one is not incredibly scary and terrifying and all the adjectives that we would use, um, because I think we're in that mission critical moment. At the beginning of the 1900s, um, there was a Supreme Court, some folks have started writing about this, but there was a Supreme Court that was striking down all kinds of people-centered laws against great social need. And of course we know what the court was doing in the 1800s with decisions like Dred Scott and Plessy and others. So this is not the first time that we have faced such um, real concern and real um, uh, you know, hardship from some of our institutions. Um, but it is unfortunate that those things are not a thing of the past. And what we are seeing is that democracy as it did then today requires a fight. And I think one of the more effective things that far right groups and others have done is to try to convince people that democracy doesn't require a fight, that anybody that stands up as a extremist or an activist or any kind of word they may use while systematically trying to dismantle um, the very values of this country that we all hold dear. And so at this moment, we've got to raise our voices to do what we can. I think there's a lot of practical stuff folks can do. One is like what you've done here. I mean, I think everybody's got to use their own station to try to make whatever difference that is. If you're in a position like you were, where you have a lot of experience, policymaker, and you can do something to amplify voices like a podcast, that makes a lot of sense. Folks that are lawyers have got to start thinking about, you know, what how they can use their doctors are in the middle of this fight now with what's happening with reproductive health care. So I think, you know, wherever you are in society, um, whatever role you hold, if you're a parent, raising a kid, a teacher, whatever, there's things we can do in our own lives. And we have to, I think, every day think about what am I doing today for democracy? And if that means that you're talking to your kid about it or that you're helping support a public school or any, any type of thing. So that's one. I think two is like, you know, we have to be educated and vigilant and trying to understand what's out there because there's a lot of misinformation um, and there's a lot of um, just sort of information and stories that aren't told. And so that's listening to people in communities, trying to ask the hard questions. And then we've all got to get engaged through voting, through helping people vote, through demanding more of our government. It just should not be that people accept the government that is not working for all people. And I think that that's, you know, another thing that we can do. So, you know, it's, it's a hard time, but the country's been in these very dark times before. And what got us out were people of all stripes and all different um, walks of life with all different backgrounds standing up and saying, you know, enough is enough and here's what I'm going to do about it. So um, that, that's kind of what I make of this moment. So speaking about engagement, uh, tell people, because one of the key words when you were describing the organization is that it is a nonprofit organization. Therefore, it costs money to file all these lawsuits. 
So how can people contribute to your work and, and uh, get in touch with you in particular or, or anybody on your staff uh, concerning issues dealing with democracy? Yes, so a few things. So go to our website, democracyforward.org, democracyforward.org. You should sign up for updates. There's a sign up box. Um, there's a donate button, and we love it when people donate. And if you know, you can donate to our Democracy Forward Foundation, and that's um, tax deductible. Um, so, you know, you can donate. But if you want to get in touch with us personally, we encourage that too. And so you can email me at sky, S K Y E, my name has an E on it, so sky, S K Y E, at democracyforward.org. And um, you can let us know if you have ideas for engagement, if there are folks that are listening that um, are aware of abuses of governmental power at the state and local levels or at other levels um, where you want to talk with us or engage with us, or if you want to find ways to support. We welcome all of that. So democracyforward.org, you can sign up, um, and then you can email me, sky at democracyforward.org. And I will say um, a plug for social media. We, um, you know, do a lot of communicating as we're filing cases or as things are happening in real time on Twitter. Um, so you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Democracy FWD um, on Instagram and on social channels too. So any any way you want to get in touch with us, um, we're here to engage, and um, we really are excited and get hope from how many people are part are going to be part of this generational fight at its inflection point in democracy. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was the voice of Sky Perryman, who is a warrior out here in the community for all of us. Um, and I, I just want to say that I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, whatever I can do or what others can do that are listening to help you, uh, I believe that you're, you're going to have that support. So I just wanted to publicly thank you for what you're doing it's good to know that there's people out here that uh, are doing doing the work of the people. Thanks for having me on. And I know we'll we'll find some good trouble to get into. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. All right. And we'll catch y'all on the other side. And so we are back. And again, uh, democracyforward.org, please go to the website, uh, support this organization and any organization that's fighting for freedom, right? Because we know <laughs> that um, Freedom is not free. And um, we know that we have to fight all the time to be able to maintain whatever life we have. Um, but we've got some people that don't quite understand that. And then we got a group of people who may not be the best warriors for the fight. Now, the lady I just interviewed, uh, most of the people that I have on this show are the people that are qualified to be leaders. 
in this country. They're not only they're younger, but they are committed for the right reasons. And that's very important, right? It's not about winning an election. It's about making a true difference. One of my, my political mantra always was that a politician thinks about the next election, but a statesman thinks about the next generation. And I got criticized a lot for always throwing out ideas, for always introducing legislation. But my job wasn't about getting elected, because if it was about getting elected, I'd probably still be in there, right? I would have built an apparatus to maintain, or I would have amassed enough money to upset some people, right? But my goal was to get in and to do what I could for the short time I was given, because, you know, you're only given a term, it, whether it's two years, four years, six years, you're only given a term. And so you make the most of that term. And if the people decide they want you back, they'll put you back. If they decide for you to go home, you go home. And that's how democracy is supposed to work, regardless of your feelings uh, or your, your ego. It is how it works. And so when you're in there, it's not about you at that point. It's about doing what's in the best interest for the people that put you in that position, whether it's a city council ward or a representative legislative district or the whole state. You're supposed to, or the whole nation, you're supposed to look out for the constituents that put you in there. And that's who you work for, right? And, you know, until they decide that they don't want you, then you have the opportunity to do that work. But if you're in there because you like seeing yourself on TV or you like hearing yourself bloviate or whatever, you, you should have went to acting school. You should have become a radio announcer. You should have been a sports announcer. You should have done anything and even those folks, when you talk about sports announcers and newscasters, they're reporting what's happening. It's not about them. It's about what's going on that they are observing, right? Especially a sports announcer. So whatever ego you get out of that, that's on you. But that's not why you are in those positions, right? You're supposed to, if you're an elected official, the key word is elected. It means people took time out of their Tuesday, or in some states, early voting, to show up and choose you over anybody else that was seeking that same position. And they put their trust, the majority of them put their trust behind you. Therefore, you're supposed to do the job for them. You know, it's amazing how these business people have this mindset, well, we got to do this for the shareholder. We got to do this for the shareholder. We got to do this for the shareholder. But if they get elected, they don't carry that same mentality. We got to do this for the voters. We got to do this for the voters. All of a sudden it becomes all about, I got to do this for my party, or I got to do this for re-election, or I got to do this to appease this special group. Or I still got to answer to the corporation that I left to be in public office, right? But they they forget that. 
And that's not just endemic of one party, that's both parties. Uh, you know, and, I, and that's just being real about it. And it's not just white folk, right? I've seen Asians do it, I've seen Latinos do it, and I sure as hell have seen black folks do it, right? It's like, I still am sore about it, and people that know about the incidents might still be uncomfortable with me even mentioning it, but it's like, it blew my mind that there was a sister in the state legislature, and I'll be nice and not name the state. If you've heard my podcast before, I've probably told you. But this sister worked in a bank and had no idea what the Community Reinvestment Act was, which meant that she was neither at the bank or in the state legislature pushing that issue to make sure that black folks got money from banks to do what needs to be done to improve the community. That's, that's terrible. That's as bad as any elected official not knowing or having idea. You take an oath. Right, you take an oath that you, in Mississippi it specifically says, you take an oath that you are either going to read the Constitution or have it read to you. And there's a real funny story behind that phrase, but it's it, it's it's your obligation to at least understand the Constitution of the state that you work in, let alone the United States Constitution, and you have to try to work within those parameters, right? If you want to rebel against it, okay, but there's still parameters even how to rebel against it. You don't send a whole bunch of people down to the U.S. Capitol and try to burn it down or tear it apart or any state capital. It's like in Tennessee. People forget this is not the first. In Tennessee, the folks didn't want an income tax, so they tore up the Capitol building. Guess who had to pay for that? The very folks that tore it up. The taxpayers. They didn't want an income tax, but now you've have to spend money to fix the capital you tore up. That's stupid. There are ways to shake things up without tearing stuff up, right? You know, and 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 so in this system, right? And people like Sky Perryman, people like Jarvis Dorch, people like Derek Johnson, people like Al Sharpton, whether, and you know what? It doesn't matter whether you agree with them or not. They're doing the work that needs to be done, right? And then I'll even go as far as say people like Jake Evans, right? Because Jake Evans is a conservative, but Jake Evans fights in the court of law for his beliefs. And if you really look at Jake Evans, one of the reasons why he didn't win his congressional race was because Jake Evans is a constitutional lawyer. John Roberts, if you look at his record, he hasn't been a quote-unquote conservative all the time. He's been a constitutional lawyer. So when you are fighting to defend the rights of people within the confines of the Constitution, when you take those arguments as the Supreme Court, that's where that, that battle is. And so when you skew the court so bad where it's like logic doesn't even matter, that's a fundamental problem. That's catering to a party. That's catering to a philosophy of politics and not catering to the law and not catering to the sustenance or the sustaining, however you want to phrase it, of the democracy that entrusted you in that position. Because people say, well, it's a problem the Supreme Court's not elected. You don't want judges elected. It's bad that judges are elected at the local level, to a degree. 
Although I do advocate that since they are elected, every one of them should always have opposition. Every one of them. I don't care if they're my friends. I don't care if they're my college roommates, buddies, whatever. If you run for judge, you should be opposed because when you get in a position where you think you're going to be there forever, you got to act that way. Human nature is human nature. But if you know that you have to be accountable for everything that you do and you have to go before the public every four years or eight years or however long your term is, that will temper you some and it'll keep you focused on what you're supposed to be doing instead of trying to figure out how to look good. But I digress because I want to spend the remaining of the time. Well, I don't really digress because it all ties in, right? And I just want to say a couple of things that a Republican said that goes against everything that the Republican Party stands for right now. This Republican at one time said, patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president or any other public official. That's one quote. The other quote the same Republican said is that a great democracy must be progressive or will cease to be a great democracy. You got to change. You can't flip the clock back. You can't do it. And black folks in America have a moral obligation. I'm going to say this again. Black folks in America have a moral obligation to never allow the clock to turn back in this country. Because if you turn it back just 50, 60 years, you're not able to vote. If you turn it back 150, 200 years, you're not even a citizen. You are property. So we have a moral obligation to never, ever, when they say, let's make America great again, no. Because America wasn't great if all of America didn't participate. Let's make America great moving forward is where we ought to be because it's a, it's a goal. It's just like being a Christian. You can't really be a Christian until you actually meet Christ, right? Until you die. That's our belief, right? So, and whatever faith you believe, you're never going to be that true total being until you pass this realm into the next, no matter what faith you're in, right? But in the Christian faith, when we identify as Christians, we're really saying we aspire to be Christians because we know we can't attain that until we actually meet Christ himself, right? And so we in America aspire to be this, 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 this vision of equality, of justice, of fairness, of being a true democracy where everybody participates. That's always the goal. And the bar shouldn't really move too much, not unless we push it, right? So people talk about, well, you know, why we gotta talk about these folks and why these folks gotta do this and all that stuff, because they're a part of this country. And whether you like it, whether you subscribe to their lifestyle, whether you wanna be in their neighborhood, all that stuff, that's your personal problem. <laughs> but when you get in a position where you try to create laws where they can't exist, right? Like when you want to create a law that says that 
if you're it's it's if you're homeless is illegal it's a felony yes there's a state in the united states that's trying to make it a felony i think it's missouri it's trying to make it a felony to be homeless with inflation going up 9.1% in a month that means gas that means housing that means everything's going up if you become destitute enough where you can't maintain a home and you are homeless in the state of Missouri, you're a felon. You are a felon for being poor or having bad luck. Because if they catch you sleeping under a bridge, they catch you hanging out anywhere in an alley somewhere, and the St. Louis police can arrest you, and the DA in that county can charge you with a state felony, according to the Missouri legislature. That's insane. It's one thing to try to get a handle on on people begging for money. And and we fought and there was a Republican legislature that made it so that, um, oh, God, now I can't even think of the term truancy, not truancy. Oh, what is the term? I can't even think of the term now, but it's like when you. God. When you when you're walking around, you ain't got no money. Right. That that was a crime in the state of Mississippi. And 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 uh, we. I helped this Republican legislator. Put together the language to to outlaw that. Right. So to say that, um, you know, you don't have any money on your person. That was a crime in a lot of in. I think almost all 50 states. And now that that's been wiped out. Mississippi is one of those states that did it. And it was a Republican that did that, right? So now you sit there and and now you flip the script a few years later, literally a few years. And now you want to make homelessness a crime. So see, that that gets into what I kind of teased about, right? There's two parties in the United States of America and neither one of them really are in step with the nation that they they are seeking votes from, right? One party who calls themselves a progressive party, but when you look at them, all of these folks have seen better days. And I'm not questioning their intelligence i'm not questioning their their health or anything like that but i'm a sports guy and it's like there's some benefit to the team that has experience over the team that's young right but if the younger team is more talented than the older team the experience ain't gonna make up that talent that young team is gonna beat them because they're talented they are superiorly talented and they can go out there and defy your strategy because that's the only advantage you've got. You're not as young as you used to be, not as agile as you used to be. So you've got to use your strategy and your experience to overcome that talent. But a lot of times that talent, if it's good enough to be professional, it's good enough to win. And if you've got the right amount of talent, you can defeat experience. Now in the NBA, experience won. Right. 
but that's not a guarantee next year that they're going to win. They have to struggle with a young, talented team to get to that point, right? And so when I look at us as Democrats, and I identify as a Democrat, that we got a lot of experience. We got some wily veterans that know the game backwards and forwards. But not only do we have talent that we're facing, that'll challenge it, that not only has, and talent in the case of the Republicans is more money than anything else, but they're they're committed. They're the best and the brightest of their lot. And that's why despite as crazy as they've been pushing stuff, because the Missouri legislature is primarily Republican, as crazy as they've been pushing stuff, they're still favored to win the election in November, the midterm elections, they're still flavored, favored to flip the House and the Senate. Despite all the stuff that you're seeing on the news, all the laws that they're passing in these respective states that they're in control of, they're still favored to win because they're putting out their young, articulate, good-looking, talented people, regardless of what they say out of their mouths. If you talk to most of them, they're very intelligent people. I mentioned Jake Evans is one. He got beat by a guy who is a medical doctor. But he's not a typical medical doctor. He was a Marine. And then he went to medical school at a historically black college. And he's a Republican. He's going to be tough to beat. Down the road. And then... A lot of the shift has been this gerrymandering thing. But nonetheless, regardless, that's the kind of people that they're putting out there. And we're bringing out the same old tried, true names that you've heard before, names that you trust, all that. That's beautiful. And these are smart and good people. But the problem is, and I'll use this baseball team as a reference, <laughs> the 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 team formerly known as the Anaheim Angels, right? The Los Angeles Angels. They've got two of the best players in baseball right now. Best position player, best amazing guy can pitch and hit home runs. They can't win a freaking ball game three days in a row. They can't do it. Why? Because all the talent is up in the in the show. They decimated their farm system. They decimated the young talent, discouraged them because they never advanced them or not enough of them to make a difference. If they if they decide they're going to go get another wily veteran to play with these two superstars instead of building from within. And the Democratic Party has an incredible amount of talent. An incredible amount of talent. A lot of sane people that want to be in public office, but they're still waiting their turn after 20, 30, 40 years, especially in the U.S. Congress. So that's one thing. And that's something that the Democratic Party is going to have to figure out on their own, how they're going to make that transition to make it work. But the reason why I brought up these these those Republican quotes, because this is also the same Republican that said that abortion was genocide to the white race. It's the same guy. 
as progressive and as patriotic as he sounded in those other quotes, he's part of the reason why we're in this moment. And that guy's name is Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt was a heck of a dude. I would have loved to have had a conversation with him and pick his brain about politics and especially in that era, right? And his mindset. But, you know, and there's, there's things that we would disagree on, of course, but probably not as much as I would think. Because he and several other people that got to a certain position got it. They understood that this is not about an individual, right? If you're a Republican, you're a Republican because of a belief system, not because you're part of a cult. Donald Trump is no different than Gerald Ford or Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan or anybody else. They had the privilege of being the nominees to be president of the United States and they won the election. And they served. That's it. There's nothing more special about Donald Trump than any of the rest of them. Nothing. But yet for some reason, in this day, in this time, people want to clutch to him more so than Reagan or Barry Goldwater or anybody else. And that's scary because he is who he is. He's an individual. He got to be president. He served. That's it. He ran twice. He won once. That's it. No more than Bill Clinton or John Kennedy or Lyndon Baines Johnson or, or Barack Obama, anybody else. They serve as president. They basically surrender their lives for four to eight years. And in John Kennedy's life, he gave his life, right? To serve and, and, and offer to give his life more than once because he served in World War II too. To, to be in this position to try to move the United States in a better direction. That's really should be the goal of every president, regardless of their party, is to move the United States to a better direction. Forward. <coughs> Excuse me. Forward is the other key word in it. Not backwards. Forward. You can't get back that time. You can sing that Archie Bunker song from All in the Family all you want to, but those A's ain't coming back. Not if I can help it, let alone millions of other black people. And hopefully everybody else will join in on that too. But those days are gone. Now it's time to get us past a pandemic that is still lurking in our midst. And we have to get us past this period of inflation that we're dealing with, which means that we're going to have a recession pretty soon. If you remember one of the guests I had on, and then we're going to have to navigate that to get to a place where the economy is stable. We've got to get America back in a position where crazy people like Vladimir Putin would not dare attack another nation just willy nilly and feel that he can throw everything that hates him in in uh, in the spin if you had a strong united america you could go to other nations and say let's shut this joker down and they would they've done it before do it now but how can america lead when america is basically 
the dog chasing his own tail at this point. Because you got people who are more concerned about rhetoric and cults of personality than actually substance and freedom and democracy. I'm all about the sound bite instead of sound judgment. That's where we are. And until we get our minds wrapped back around that point, which means that we have to be educated, right? We're at a point now where people are even saying, well, we talked about this Mississippi case where they're trying to pump money in these private schools. But the funny thing is, is that these people really don't even want their kids in the private school. They don't want them in any school system. They want to just teach them how to be who they are. (laughs) Just be copies of us and and go forward and and just make it in society. They don't want to teach them basics. They don't want to follow Jefferson. And as much as we, we criticize Thomas Jefferson, we have to praise him too because Thomas Jefferson basically said, Everything that we need to know as human beings, as far as math and science and language and all that stuff, we need to know that by the time we're 10 years old. And then spend the rest of our lives honing our craft. That was his mindset. And that that should be the mindset of a lot of people, especially in education. But we're training people to work for somebody else. We're training people to use, you know, we're encouraging people to use their hands and, and their feet instead of their minds. We want to relax our mind, not push it, but they want you to build up your body. And the Greek said, you got to do all of it. Not only your mind, your body, but your spirit. We got to build up all three of those. But if they, if they deflate your spirit and deprogram your mind or malnourish your mind, all you got left is your body and your voice. But if you don't have any formal education, you know, what are you going to say? That's why you got these young people out here expressing themselves by buying AR-15s and shooting up places. Now, the Republicans got a great argument about the man in Indiana that was armed and stopped a mass shooter the other day. I guess it was yesterday, the day before recording this. Um, but the reality is, is that why was that dude out there with a gun shooting up folks? Not the, not the hero, but the mass shooter, because he's not intelligent enough to sit down and figure out how to do something in life to change the world that he lives in. He wants to do it the video game way, the mind relaxed way, instead of dealing with reality. Video games are supposed to be an escape. Watching sports is an escape. We do things to because we we're escaping or we're 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 trying to get relaxation from the work that we have done. We've got a whole political party that has basically just said, "Let the inmates run the asylum." We don't care. We don't care if it leads to the end of democracy. Just let them have it so we can maintain whatever status we get. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, we got work to do. 
my time is up for today. But um, we're going to keep this dialogue going. Until next time.